0: Love talk radio I stroll through the picture What I've left behind You want to get
1: I'm locked up in
0: memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn come You will never know. What you have done.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Scan Radio, show number 3097. This is Stop Child Abuse Now, Scan. And that is a production of NASCA, the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. I'm going to read the mission statement of NASCA. We have a single purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault. Violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem. (coughs) Excuse me that affects everyone. <clears throat> Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And tonight's radio show, number 3097. Is um, going to be co-hosted by Sheree White from Covington, excuse me, Covington, Tennessee. Sheree is an anti-bullying advocate and author of three books. Who uses her own story of being bullied and gaslighted to help those enduring the same abuse today? Quote: In sixth grade, I, begon, I began a long lesson. In the human predator-prey dynamic, and a battle for my dignity, safety, and my very soul. Unquote. At first, she took the physical beatings, name-calling, and abuse. Cherie was a victim of what is called polyvictimization. In just six months, she went from being a kid who always made the honor roll to an angry and bitter girl who made only Cs and Ds. Quote, who could concentrate on schoolwork, she asks. Sheree attempted suicide at the age of 14. Quote, Because I felt powerless, I began to bully those who were even weaker than me in attempts to grab back some of my power." On these Tuesday and Thursday episodes, we welcome various survivor professionals as co-hosts who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring from questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. And you can do that by calling the phone number, which is 646, area code, 595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. Give us a call and you can ask your questions or make your comments. And now I am going to see if this is Cherie on the line with us. Is that you, Cherie? Yes,
2: it is. How are
1: you? I'm so glad I'm doing fine. Thank you. Welcome.
2: I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. Well, I made my introduction of you, and why don't I turn it over to you then to um,
2: broach a topic with us. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, I think uh, the topic is going to be tonight... uh, about how a lot of uh, targets of bullying and abuse uh, become social chameleons. And I say that because a lot of times when you're bullied and abused, uh, you basically become very good at uh, being a social chameleon. In other words, you become good at uh, adapting your personality to uh to your environment to your circumstance and uh and to the people around you and you do that as a defense mechanism uh because you know you want to be accepted when you're bullied and abused you know you you work so hard to be accepted and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but uh if if you do that if you uh if you put on an act for so long, sometimes it can become a habit. And it's, it's very unhealthy because when you refuse to be yourself, you basically cheat yourself. You know, you cheat yourself out of the freedom to be yourself. And you do it because it's a defense mechanism. You do it to pr- protect yourself from being bullied, from being ridiculed, beat up, and it's just uh, you know a lot of people uh, basically become actors and actresses. Now, I did that myself for for a time, but thank goodness I got out of it, and now. You know, I I have the confidence to be myself, uh, regardless of what anybody else thinks, and, and that's a freedom, uh, that's a freedom like no other. Uh, did did any of you ever go through a period where, you know, you basically became an actor? Uh, I'll you
3: Okay. I was always an actor. I was always the actor in my life, you know. Actually, I wasn't an actor, I was a reactor. I react to situations, you know. Um something would happen, I would, you know, I wasn't really living my life. Just reacting, trying to stay safe, you know. Safe as I could. Right. Um I uh, I was bullied at school too. Um and and wasn't beat up, but I was treated really badly. Um, right. I was trapped and spit on and, you know, called names and taunted and, you know, shamed. verbal right,
1: bullying.
3: Yeah, I was shamed and, you Psychological know. Psychological bullying. Um, yep, yep. We had to dance with the boys and the one boy just grabbed on my fingertips and kept going, ah, ah, you know, the the time and the girls were, you know, thought I went to a school where there was a lot of rich kids and so, those kids, you know, they all belong in country clubs and different things. So, they just pretty much ignored me. So, I wasn't quite sure which is worse, you know. Right. Being <laughs> ignored and, and acting like I didn't even exist or or be having people follow behind me. And, you know, my last day of shepherd calling, being called sheepdog, sheepdog, ba ba, you know. And they'd say, they'd say right. nothing but a dog, you know, and things like that. and. You know, what I did is I didn't I didn't fight back, but my mom, she was a different story. I wasn't raised by her, but she told me later on in life, she said, yeah, I got beat up all the time and then I just figured I'd beat them up before they could beat me up, you know, and and so right. I can kind of relate to, to what you were talking about earlier, but I'm going to listen because then somebody else was trying to jump into
4: it. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> Uh, sixth grade was for me um in school by what used to be my best friend from the end of fifth grade all through the summer uh we had desks across from each other, and um for some reason, we got the same wrong answer on a test, and she exploded and accused me of cheating. And from then on, it was beat up on Maury Day every single day, which I was kind of used to because that's what was going on at home anyway. But um, what it did to me, I mean, it wiped me out. I'm saying so much of my life, I didn't even bother talking to anybody. Uh, I kind of just blended in, tried to blend in with nobody noticing me because I didn't know who was going to go off on me, since it was not a, a reason for her to go off, I actually we split the schools, and I have a put you in the A track, and then some were in the C track. We never saw each other again after seventh grade. So, so, yeah. and I I was in the A track, and they didn't do it too much in the A track. But she has an effect on me that I, I could I still think of her. You know, it just yeah, this is a good subject for tonight.
2: Right. Yeah, there were times when I was quiet, too, and, and it was a protective mechanism. Uh, basically, I just, uh, like you, I just wanted to blend in, kind of, you know, fade into the crowd and not be noticed. Uh, you know, sometimes it worked, and most of the time it didn't. Yeah. Because they would, they would see me and they're like, oh, there she is.
3: Yeah, there's some. The you know, boys. my there's my today. grandmother knew that I was being bullied and stuff, so you know, she decided I was using my grandparents, She decided that she was going to call the school, and I tell you what, that just made things worse. And basically, the school reacted as some kids get treated that way. You know, it was like not something that the school was going to get involved with. You know, it just, it happens kind of. You know, some kids are well, wrong. Wrong. and Of course, there was no little bully back then. I'm going to be 61 at the end of the month so it was just kind of like you know and grandma was bullied too so her response was i used to be bullied all the time i only had one dress and, and they were really poor and her mother died when she was seven and she says i just figured that they were picking on me they were leaving someone else alone and and that's was in my head because you know it, it it didn't make sense you know but for her that's how she made sense you know what i mean so, yeah, think, yeah. we all kind of, like you said, we, we just, we're reacting and we're, you know, we're just kind of making it through with surviving, you know, just like any kind of child abuse, we, we survive. And, uh, um, but to come to a point where you can really look at your behavior, I think, is just amazing. And it sounds like that's what you did um, for being a victim. But could you tell us a little bit more about um how you were uh, victimized as a child. I know some is in the introduction, but maybe you could go back to kind of where you remember it starting.
2: Well, I mean I uh I had been an army brat and we had moved we had moved to Tennessee, back to Tennessee. And so, you know, to everybody in the school in the in this school I was an outsider. Uh not only that, but uh you know we we weren't poor we were middle class so you know we lived in a two-story victorian house you know we you know we we were you know we we got everything we wanted for christmas you know on our birthdays so you know we were we weren't rich but we were middle class we lived in a nice house but uh the people that bullied me it wasn't just uh the rich kid well there weren't very few rich kids in this town this was this was a poor town so it, it, they were either upper middle cl- i think the richest were like upper middle class but uh i got i didn't get bullied by the quote unquote rich kids it, it was the poor kids too that bullied me you know and the thing is when we, uh, you know the rich kids—they weren't as bad as the poor kids that bullied me. And when the poor kids would bully me, it would be a whole lot worse because they had something to prove, where rich kids don't have anything to prove. Do you do you understand what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I went to school with, like, the Daytons and the Donaldsons and the Humphreys. And, like I said, they belong to country, I doing on vacations all the time, you know, and tutored right. kids, affected grades, and, you know, so they just, like, you know, they had their own world they were in, you know. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah.
2: But it wasn't just the, quote, unquote, rich kids. It most of a lot of them was the poor kids too i mean the dirt poor kids
3: yeah and yeah. uh you know you the rich a lot kids, of that has to do with those kids were being abused at home, maybe and and learned that learned that behavior that's what i think, I think so. back and wonder uh, you know
2: i mentioned i mentioned in my book from victim to victor that a lot of the kids that bullied me uh had uh that they were the uh the kids of uh, either single mothers who were on drugs real bad, alcoholics, uh, they were, uh, if if they did come from a two parent family, you know, their parents fought all the time. Some of them were sexually abused and hurting. So they had to bully me to make themselves feel better. Uh, right. A lot of, a lot of uh the parents of these kids were criminals you know in and out of jail uh selling dope on the side on the side of the street you know just and i feel sorry for these kids i don't hate them but they you know because their own parents were such garbage
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: they they would uh come to school and take it out on me. I think yeah, that's the underlying force of it. I I'm yeah, sorry.
3: Hurt people, like they it's say the anger. Hurt, people, hurt people Yep. It's yep. anger. Right.
4: that's what they come back with. And they they feel powerless at home or wherever they're from. Um you know, and and right. it's the same as anybody else. They have
2: to take, they have right. to release it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, and so they at... would come to school, you know, you know they felt powerless at home, and so they would, they couldn't wait to get it, get to school, so that they and their friends could take it out on me. That's okay. sad. <sighs> yeah,
4: that's
2: sad. Yeah. That's yeah. sad. Yeah, you know, a lot of them, school was their happy place. It's supposed to be, and. And to think a lot of these girls, you know, especially in junior high, would come to school with hickeys all over their necks. I mean, they were just, a lot of these kids were just let go. And oh, my goodness. I mean, that, they just had really, really
3: trashy parents. Yeah.
2: And, yeah. and, my
3: uh... You know, I call throwaway children. It was like back then at least there was just no help for kids that, you know, came from there still isn't a lot because um the situation has to be really, really bad before a child's gonna be removed, you know. Yeah. In a main case. And and unfortunately back then there was no alcohol treatment. There was no um psychiatrist in the school. There was no none of this. And I and I don't think that a lot of people that are younger realize um, that there just was not, you know, there wasn't any help. You'd go to a teacher and they didn't know what to do. <laughs> right. And, and the thing, a lot
2: of these kids, they lived in trailer parks. I'm talking trashy, run-down trailers. Uh, you know, these, and granted, I, I I don't look down on on people who are less fortunate than me. You sure. know, I, I never was that type. Until I until I started bullying other people, and when I once I started bullying them, you know, bu- I was bullying them back really, and I would be like, well, at least I live in a nice house and you live in a trailer, da 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 da, which was wrong, you know, I shouldn't have said that to them,
0: mm-hmm. but.
2: At, at that time, you know, they had bullied me for so long, and I'd gotten tired of it that I would just say anything just to hurt them back,
3: <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. Where well, when I was bullied, I internalized it because I was, like I said, getting the same crap from my grandparents. You know, they were drinking, and, you know, my grandma said a lot of just really weird and horrible stuff and um, about my mom, you know, I didn't even know they were my grandparents until so the neighbor told me. And I got mad at the neighbor kid. And then I went home crying, and my grandma told me, yeah, they were. My grandparents and my mom didn't want me, was going to dock me out. They went to Louisiana who wanted me. And they had to take me. And they used to live in a nice house, and now they got to live in the dump. You know, and my grandpa had to work three jobs. Yeah, you know, so I don't really want it. you know. So, you know, just just the way I was being treated at school, and then I was like in fourth grade, I missed like 54 days of school. They'd so wake up in the morning, and I'd have horrible migraines be throwing up. And so they brought me to the hospital, and I stayed in the hospital five days for testing because I guess they thought I had a brain tumor or something. And then the doctor went to my grandparents and said, she needs to be a psychiatrist. And my grandma pretty much ripped me out of there.
0: She's not crazy.
3: And I think part of it was they didn't want, you know, the family secrets, whatever, to be told. You know, so I right. internalized and hated myself, hated myself, and believed all the lights. And it, it right. turned my into adulthood for years. Right.
2: But Yeah, I mean, like I said, this was a small town. And, you know, most of the kids in my school were poor you know there were a few middle class kids and there were a few uh maybe one or two you know upper middle class kids i don't think there were any quote unquote rich kids yeah in the town it, the the richest ones were upper middle class you know the children of big farmers and uh you know who who you know grew Produce and had beef farms mm-hmm. and stuff those were the kind of kids you mm-hmm. know they were rich because uh their their dads and granddads were just huge farmers, or yeah. uh, back in the day they were moonshiners or bootleggers mm-hmm. i mean that, that's that's where a lot of the richest kids. In this small Tennessee town, came from, you know, bootleggers, moonshiners yeah. back in the day, and uh, and farmers, you know, right. big
3: farmers, you know, a yeah, farm town. She, went, she said, you know, I never. She lived in the trailer, and they were moving all the time in the trailer, you know. And so, anyway, she says, I didn't know that I was poor until I went to school, and the kids told me, you know. Right, because, or they yeah. were,
2: lo- or they were local politicians. Pardon me.
3: Oh, sure, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, but the rest so, of them were. So, most how of did, you, were did you go to therapy, or did you just all of a sudden realize that you know your behavior, you didn't want to see that behavior? I mean, there's, there's all for all of us kind of that turning point where. You know, we start evaluating what our behavior, not everybody, but some people, you know, evaluate our behavior and kind of and say, this is how I became who I am today. And, you know, I don't want to be this way. What kind of you think was your turning point? Well, my turning point,
2: you know, when I was being bullied, granted, you know, my mom took me to therapy, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have the articulation. I didn't have a very uh, broad vo- vocabulary, so it was hard for me to communicate what was happening uh, in a way that uh, would make people listen to me, so, you know, right? it, it was, a, yep. a lot of this therapy was a waste of time, but uh, yep. when... Uh, when I finally realized, I think I finally realized you know my wrongdoing when uh when, when I found out I was pregnant with my first child, you know, I was pregnant in school, and uh I used uh dating and sex to uh basically as a source of validation for me. Because when you're being bullied and told you're no good, you know, you you, you search for that uh, someone to yeah. accept you and to validate you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I started, I didn't date kids my own age. I dated, I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old and dating ki- uh older people of the college
3: age. Yeah, me too. You know, nope. okay. My, the guys I went out with were, you know, either that or, or older, older than that. And uh, and I used to, you know, think it was uh, dating. But, you know, uh, I just want to make clear that uh, if you're under the age of 18 and somebody over the age of 18, that is, uh, that's child rape. You know, and, and right. you get taken advantage of. And, yeah, my whole life, I believe, I don't even know when it changed, but years and years, I was pretty old before I realized that my my value had been the only reason I thought I was put on this earth was to sexually satisfy men because that's what my life had been about, you know, and and so I reacted from that.
2: Right. Well, my case was that I felt like, you know, I, I was a beautiful girl back then, you know, yeah, I was bullied, but you know, I wasn't the typical ugly nerdy person that was being bullied. I was actually a beautiful girl, and because I'd been bullied so bad, I figured that uh back then I knew I looked good, and I yeah. but I felt like that, that was that was the only thing I had going for me was my looks and yep. my my feminine sex appeal. So I used that to get validation yep. when i was 16 years old i i dated a 22 year old uh, for 14 months we dated and he even asked me to marry him give me a ring and boy i would go to school oh, i'm fixing to get married and uh it, it with that I, I would get bullied even worse sure uh some of the bullies saw me out with this guy And I got accused of being a gold digger because he was 22 years old, had a job at one of the best plants in the area making good money. And I got accused of being a gold digger. I got accused of uh, being too good to date guys my own age when the real truth was that, uh, you know, my bullies had destroyed my reputation and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know they wouldn't have wanted to date me anyway,
3: and I yeah. didn't want
2: to date them either because I thought they were in, they were just yucky and immature and rude and crude and I just didn't want to date guys my age. I
3: liked the yeah, older. I yep. I I, was I didn't need them. As to matter of fact I was know. working I was working in a bar when I was fifteen. I started uh, being a bus girl, probably fourteen, and then. The, the bartender just said, don't tell me your age. And, you know, I was able to cocktail waitresses and all that. Well, I wore makeup and sexy clothes and everything, but I still went to school, so it was like I was living a double life, you know. And um, Right. You know, and there were older men, obviously, as a drinking age, you know, that, that were asking me out. And like you said, the boys of my school, they, you know, they either were disgusted by me or, you know, didn't pay no attention to me. And you know yeah i was felt they were just totally immature <laughs>
2: you know well i i think it was more they were scared to date me because if they if they knew that if they did the rest of the class would have turned against them especially the girls they would have had nothing to do with them if they yep. dated me yeah so yep. you know they, it's like you know the attitude was if you if uh, don't talk to her, if you talk to her then I'm not gonna be your friend sort of thing. Yep. Yep, that happens a lot. Yep. And that that's called social aggression. And and, oh, and, and that's what yeah. a lot of the girls did was they would uh try to turn my they would turn my friends uh well shoot. Uh what friends I did have they would turn against me. So really, you know, I can't say I had any real friends in school. I just had, you know, people I piled around with just to keep from sitting alone at the at the in the lunchroom. But uh, I, I can't say I had any real friends because they these these kids that I hung with they did not back me up. And needless to say, I, I don't talk to them now. Never will. I just. You know once you once you show your cards and destroy
3: my trust, I can never trust you again, right. I had about four friends we'd sit in the lunchroom together, and everybody sat like half a table away from us, you know and and anyway, this gal came into school and and um she just kind of looked lost and lonely just like I was you know, and so I said, "Hey, you want come sit at lunch later with us, and oh thank you And anyway. We reconnected through the classmates. I never went to in my reunions. Like, why would I want to see those people? And we connected on classmates. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I wrote to her on Christmas last year, not just last year, the year before. And I just said, I just want to say how grateful I am that we connected and that we're, you know, that we could be friends still and this and that. And she says, Well, I wanna, I wanna thank you. She says because when I came into that school and she was Native American, which I never, I never really noticed until she told me she kept so But anyway, she um um she says, you know, everybody was teasing her and all this stuff and she goes, Wouldn't believe the difference that you were so nice and sweet they invited me to sit at your table with you And I look back and I thought, Wow you know, I I never realized I just was, you know, being nice. They did, as she would say, "Well, I don't want to sit at that table," you know, <laughs> after seeing that wow. nobody, you know, the way people were treating us. But, 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 you know, I started, I had tears in my eyes because you don't know the difference that made in my life, how that made me feel that you were in the bathroom and just came up to me and said, "Hey, you want to sit at our table for lunch?" Right. You know, we never know that one thing we do. And I had a, I had this one girl, I don't know, like eighth grade maybe, that came up to me and she says, I, I think she was going to church, stuff, but she saw how it was being treated. And she goes, well, just kill him with kindness. So that's what I started doing. they would say, mean things to me. And I would just say, well, I hope you have a nice day. You know, and that just threw them off. You know? <laughs> just
0: right.
3: water, you, know? Right. <laughs> you know? And they just, you know. So, that, so you know, but it didn't make me feel any better. It didn't make me feel any better about myself because that had already been ingrained in me, you know. Right.
2: Well, um, back then in school, it did make me feel bad about myself. But, you know, when I, a lot of times, even today, sometimes I will get, you know, nasty messages from them. And it doesn't bother me anymore because I, I know right. where it comes from. You know, I've yeah. written four books, and uh, one of the, a couple of the classmates have read written my have read my books, and they were just mm-hmm. absolutely disgusted by what I'd written, especially sure. the Look, especially from victim to victor, um, where I tell my story about being bullied. Even though I didn't use their names, there they were yeah. still pretty pretty.
3: Pissed oh, they, knew. they knew who you were talking about. <laughs> they didn't want to be exposed, just like any other abuser does not want to be exposed. You know, and and right. they don't. You don't even have to say that person. They know who they are, and and because they know it's right. true, you know they'll laugh absolutely. Out. Mm-hmm. Yep, and yep. I, I can tell you,
2: I, I can't tell you how many threats I've got. How many threats of physical violence from a few of them. Uh, how many nasty, dirty messages calling me a a lying bitch and a lying a lying whore, a slut? And these were these were you know mid to late forty somethings doing that. And I just it, it didn't bother me one bit because I knew that uh, they were angry because I was telling the truth. Not only that, but I I knew how insecure. And how totally pathetic they were. And once yeah. you realize that uh, your bullies aren't as powerful as they make themselves out to be. And right. you once you realize how totally pathetic they really are, anything they do to you or say to you, it, it will no longer have an effect on you. I promise you. Yeah
3: well my my girlfriend's brother was in my grade. she was a year younger, and her brother was in my grade, and he went back to her school reunion and so said, "You know just ask him, you know what the school reunion was like. I was just curious. He said, "Oh, they're the same snob thing they were back then, you know, talking about their money and their cars and their wonderful jobs and their turnings, and you know their this and that, and all these you know prestigious jazz and stuff you know and I was like, Oh, I'm glad I didn't go <laughs> you know because I really don't feel I have anything to prove, but just the stuff that you were saying, just I can see that. For me, if I got that, I would just say, "Well, that just reinforces the fact that they haven't made any changes. They're still, they're right. still old bulls. They're
2: still the same. They're still the same ignorant, pathetic people they were yeah. in school. And you just yeah. have, to, like I said, you can't hate them. You have to feel sorry for them because they oh, they I have also, to be." Yeah. They have to be some really
3: insecure, jealous, miserable, angry souls. Right. And they never came to the point of looking at their behavior and, you know, maybe I don't want to be this kind of a person. But I really admire people, Whoa. you know, that look at their lives and decide I don't want to be like this. But why don't you mention, you mentioned the one book you wrote. Um, what are the other books that you wrote so we can make sure to get them out there at all? Well?
2: I have I've written one. Uh, my first book is my memoir about how I was bullied. That's from Victim to Victor, a survivor's true story of her experiences with with school bullying. Then my second book is a fiction. My other three books after that are fiction. Uh My first fiction is Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds, uh, One Woman's Fight Against the Underbelly of Small Town Politics. And this is about a girl uh, or or a woman that had been bullied as a child, and she'd moved away. Uh, Years later, when her grandmother dies and leaves her her estate, she comes back to fix the estate up and sell it and when the bullies find out when her old school bullies find out that she's back in town they pick up exactly where they left off and they give her and her kids a hard time you know it's a good yep. book and then the 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 second uh the second fiction is called the vow of chastity baker it's about the protagonist is chastity baker she starts out as a teenage prostitute and then she decides to uh, change her life after she's gotten arrested. So she, after she gets out of jail, she gets a real job. She starts going back to school, and the cop who arrested her notices this, and he, he begins to soften toward her. Um, her pimp also notices, and he sends goons after her. And along the way... To try and better herself she run in she runs into obstacles uh people who knew that she about her past as a prostitute and they bully her for it uh she even loses a job over it, but eventually you know things work out. she graduates college you know she and mm-hmm. she and the cop ended up getting married so or getting engaged rather. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh. Yeah. And then Well I know that uh, we, um I will this is I just want to mention this at this point, this is uh January is human trafficking awareness month and I was used in uh prostitution and my biological father took pornography of me as well, which one was one of the tactics oh of his control and kept kept me pretty much a sexual slave until I was twenty one. And I escaped I'm with my so six months of that not hit on his and I've got stories on YouTube, but, um, but anyway, um, the thing is, is that, uh, uh you know, when, when children are being bought and sold by, by men, you know, that's child rape again, you know, and I don't say I was a prostitute. I say I was prostituted because it right. wasn't no, me. No, you
2: weren't a prostitute. No. You were turned out
3: yeah he turned yeah, you but, out but, you, know, you were so pimped out that, but, but but girls that you know say they don't have a pimp whatever they're still prostituted because i had the illusion that i had power when i was going out with those guys and felt it was my choice but really it was an illusion they had the power they wanted the sex and they got it and it's not what right. i wanted but i didn't know what you know i, didn't, I just figured that was expected and I also was afraid that if I didn't give what they wanted I would be hurt. And they would find me and right. hurt me because that was just my experience, you know. So, so right. yeah, I was you know, just like I said, surviving, you know, this is how we how we survive. And I was working with an organization called uh Woman Heart and Systems of Prostitution engaged in revolt like we had an opinion, right? <laughs> And um so I was doing juvenile prostitution prevention in school and telling my story as I went. And I called my school I went to, and I, I wanted to come there, you know, and they go, we don't have prostitutes in our school, you know. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm right. here in school. And I was used in prostitution. No, we don't have prostitutes in our school. You know, they just, they're just they not going to have me there because, you know, I mean, if God forsake I go there and talk and somebody comes up and reveals you know, that they're being used. Oh my God, that makes the school look bad. You know, so we just won't right. have to talk about that subject. <laughs> you know, we'll just totally Absolutely. ignore that. You think that, you know, that you're going to come in here and destroy our school's name. <laughs> Why?
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, Kathy. You know, you you didn't deserve any, for any of that to happen. No. You didn't. Yeah, you were an innocent story, yeah. child, being pimped yeah, out by story, an adult. Yeah. So
3: you know none of that was your fault. well, well I thought he was my boyfriend, and I didn't because I developed PTSD. I didn't even remember until I was in my late adulthood and started having these memories. And then all of a sudden, I had this memory of, you know, we were having sex, and all of a sudden he got up, and then the next thing I remember, he's standing by the door, and I remember eight guys come in one after another, and he was standing there taken their money, and I don't know how many times it happened, because I blocked so much of these things out, you know. Right. Still the day because I had uh, shock treatments, and it's taken a lot of my short-term and long-term memory, and not just the bad stuff, but but good right. things about being a mom as well. It picks and chooses what it wants to take, and it was real bad, because it also made me not remember who to be afraid of. <laughs> right. Know. It took those memories, too.
2: right? And you know, you know your your mind. Uh, a lot of people who have been through that, their minds do block it out because your brain has to. Your your brain is is trying to protect you. Your brain is an amazing memory. thing.
3: I did. I still it published is. a book. And I ended up thanking my alters for coming to be and developing because they kept me alive. You know, I ended up being, you know, so 31 personalities in fragments, and and it was right. those alters that, you know, yeah, because issues in the in the future. But at times, I don't know that I would have survived it. You know, I did not right. think I would still be. I think I would have just said, no, I'm I'm leaving this earth. You know. Right. Yeah, I think our brain is just amazing. And then, you know, now they've done studies about how, you know, your brain chemically changes when you're abused. You know, there's oh, there's right. really, uh, measurable, you know, we, we we internalize differently than, say, I don't like well, calling them normal because you don't think it's normal is a setting on a washing machine. But, um, right. you know, other people who haven't been abused – they, Their mind doesn't process things like, like a survivor's does. Right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Now, that's my husband in there. <laughs> Annie, are you still there? But Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, are you talking to me or someone else?
3: I was asking if Annie was still there. She's actually the whole
2: time.
3: <laughs> I'm the on the trailer I Okay, great. You <laughs> I am one? here,
1: absolutely. Did you anything, hon? I'm, I'm I'm good with your conversation. I don't have any uh anything to interrupt it with.
3: How about you, Lori? you wanna give any feedback? Oh yeah, you have
4: you've got one fascinating story. Because I didn't know all this about you, you know. and Wow, you know the conversation between the two of you was going so well that I'm just kind of listening because there's, there's absolutely mm-hmm. nothing I could could want to add. I just am so caught up in you know the whole thing. It's amazing,
3: very amazing. So that's where so, I'm at. I'm still here, though. What? So when you wrote the uh, victor um um what was your um, kind of process of writing that i mean uh, um, what was your motivation? was it more for you to start off with and and then you decided to share it, or did you just have the whole strong i've got to share the story
2: or, or well what was the uh, there were
3: there
2: there were there were many reasons why I wrote the book I, well, one reason was it was good therapy for me. I needed to get it out. And I feel like by writing the book I was finally having my say and speaking out against the bullying and abuse that I suffered so many years ago in school. Another uh-huh. reason was I was because uh there was a lot of uh bullying incidences that, that were on the news and kids committing suicide, and I'm thinking this this is, this is the perfect time to write this book. Right. Because I, I wanted, you know, kids to to hear from an older person, an adult, mm-hmm. that had been through it.
3: That it comes to the other uh, side and, and, yeah, that there's hope. Yeah, that's what I like right. to my story, because people could know there's hope, you know, man, no matter what. We went through as as children and to be able to say, hey, to the younger people, you know, I've got people years old that come up to me and say, I've never told anybody you're the first person I ever told, you know, I feel safe telling you because I share my story. And, you know, and it's like I've never told anybody, but I feel safe telling you. And that begins their healing journey, you know. Right. And, And they stuffed it in all those years, you know, and then they start realizing stuff that they had totally blocked out, you know. And, you know, but I know that a lot of people blame themselves for blocking stuff out, and there's a lot of, can create a lot of shame, which is really sad because, you know, I just say, you know, or or how they reacted to certain situations, you know, I say, you know, I don't have any regrets because I did what I did with the information I had at the time, and I got bad information and outright lied to, you know. And all I can do is live today to my fullest. And in spite of everything I've been through, still find happiness and joy and be able to help others that, that are still suffering, you know, because I'm also in recovery with alcohol as alcoholic and drug addict as well.
2: That's right.
3: And, I you know, I think 36 years. 36 years a lot sober, of people. You know? Yeah.
2: A lot of people can benefit from your story, Kathy. There's a lot of. Suffering people right now that can really benefit from hearing your
3: story. Yeah. So if you want to my write a book Victoria. about that, I have, to, I have to correct you. My name is Victoria. Not. Kathy. Oh, I'm
2: so sorry. I thought. Oh. I'm so sorry, Victoria. What? You sound no. a lot like Kath, uh a woman
3: named Kathy. Right. That, uh, right.
2: But you know what is
3: weird comes is, on the show a lot. Right? Yep. What's weird when you keep saying that is that. My name was Kathy, actually, um, growing up. And because of my biological father still being in Minneapolis when I started speaking out against domestic violence in 86, I changed my name to write my book, to self-publish my book, to Victoria Kelly and to go out and speak. And um, I picked it out of a, a Christian name book, actually, of all things. And Victoria I means Victoria, of course. And my middle name I kept, which was Ruth. And that means spirit, and Kelly means warrior. So it was victorious spirit warrior. Well, I didn't feel like a victorious spirit warrior at the time, but that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> so I, that's the name I chose. But my biological, you know, my birth name was, was Kathy. So that was just—it was weird. You <laughs> just said Kathy, just, you know that was my—that was my given name, Catherine. You know. Oh, okay
2: know that i apologize for the uh for the mistake oh, no no no
3: no no don't worry about it and then i you know i go to A&E and stuff and people hear my name victoria and they go oh victoria's secret and i go no this victoria is not so secret matter of fact she'll tell you anything even stuff you don't want to hear <laughs> <laughs> well i'm but proud of how I, far you've you know, come yeah, because he was still alive, you know, and he had threatened us. He had threatened that if I ever left him, that that he would find me and keep me in a basement. Nobody would ever know I was there, you know. And he made me sign a sexual slave contract and all this stuff. And and he's the one that pornography me, and that was one thing that that kept me in that because he, you know, threatened to show my grandparents, and my friends, and things like that, you know. So yeah, oh, wow. you know, that stuff. was like, I control. And a lot right. of women are using prostitution, especially ones that have children. You know, they'll use that. You'll never see your children if, you know, if you don't go out and do this or that or they get so, you know, they break them in is what they call it, which is just repeatedly raping them until, you know, they'll submit to anything because they just, you know, get conditioned not to fight back. And that's where I was, conditioned not to fight back. Right. Absolutely. And that's
2: what bullying and abuse does. It, it breaks down your will, yep. and it conditions you not to fight back.
3: Right. It's and you fear and control. to do that. A lot of people think it's about sex, but it's not. It's about power and control. Rape is about power and control. Abuse is about power Absolutely porn. right. Yeah.
2: Absolutely right.
3: So, so, so then you, know, you decided that you decided to get that book out and then you said you wrote some fiction and but the fiction sounds like it came from your real life experience, which I like to tell people too that they say, Well, you know, I, I'd like to write a book but I don't know what to write about and I'm like, you know, the only way the only book that you can write is the one that's inside of you. You know, be it fiction or non you know, we do, we take these and create stories from our own experiences because that's what we have inside us, you know. And I believe everybody's got a book inside of them, at least one, maybe more. Right. Right. I Absolutely. I didn't choose
4: <laughs> I'm listening. I'm sitting here at home. I wrote my book years ago, and I never published it. You know? I'm really? like, what am, I, what am I waiting for? Yeah, yeah, it's never you're too late. Before.
2: You know, it's never too late to publish your book, a- unless you're dead. So yeah. I would say, you know, publish that book.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of my <laughs> problem is um, for my abuse. I'm um, basic. I am. I'm diagnosed with uh, anoxic brain damage, so I can't do any of the um, the yeah, actual indeed. publishing part of it because mm-hmm. in my brain yeah. it doesn't work. So right. I would actually have to find somebody to, you know, do that part for me. I'm a, I'm just a total yeah. artist. That That's how I live.
3: But, yeah, I've yeah. got a
4: book sitting here. But what well, I did well, that's
3: do. A lot of people just write down what their story is, and then they they work with an editor and they find a publisher. They just send it out to a whole bunch of publishers, and then you get, you know, sometimes you can get comments back on maybe something, you know, um you know, could you explain that a little bit more or, or, you know, something like that, whatever. Um, there, there are ways that anybody c- can publish a book, you know, there's yeah. ghostwriters, writers, there's all kinds of stuff that, um, I think we limit ourselves to think we have to spell words, right. And, Put the comments in the right place. Yeah, and even even getting place. it
4: out like that part yeah. of it, you know, yeah. the most I did is I put a story page on pay, on Facebook because so many people were asking me um, where I wrote the book, you know, parts of the book, and I left it there. And I figured, you know, hey, that's
3: enough. But, uh-huh.
4: you know, I have a friend
3: that's. If, that, if that's, that's where you want to go with it, it is enough. But, but you know, to not limit yourself to you know, I can't do anymore, because you can. And and we have choices today. We might not have had choices before, but, you know, I have disabilities as well, physical and emotional. And, um, you know, I, I used to tell myself, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I had all these journals, and I was just totally overwhelmed. But I just picked out some of the writings and put together a little book. I, I photocopied and made 90 copies, laminated the cover and all that, and put the spiral binding on myself. Sold 90 copies of Dave 90 away, and then email came along. So I'm really dating myself. Email came along, and I just started sending it out, you know, and then I got asked to read it at different places and stuff. And, and anyway, two women on Facebook that were women's studies professors out at Oricon, you know, said, one woman wrote to me and said, like, I'd like to help you promote your book. And I said, oh, it's just, you know, it's just some of my writing send the to you, you know, because I was emailing it out. And anyway, they did about five interviews with me on Zoom. And then I just follow those journals and sent them to them because I had started, I opened what I started reading in, and I was back into that dark pit of depression that I had been in when I was writing it. That's and, part of the reason. That's part of the reason I
4: didn't, I didn't yeah. want to go back.
3: Yeah. So anyway, I guess they got one, they got a book, Together and the one woman says you've got more than one book here, and I said, well, you don't even have all the journey journals that all my alters were writing in when I was going through therapy, you know. And I just told them, I'm going to ship them off to them, but they found three New York publishers that are interested in my book, and those publishers, with you know, they're real publishers. They're not like you got to pay money up front or promote your own book. They will promote the book for me. Um, I'll get money up front, and then I'll get royalties off the book, and oh, they'll I be know. the ones to set up any book signings and stuff. So a real yeah. publisher will do that. That's you
4: what know? I need. To, that's exactly what I need. Uh-huh. That, that's yeah, and what, what I need to do. I think before uh, I drop that, I should definitely do mm-hmm.
3: that. Yeah, and we, you know, NASCA will definitely support you to, you know, because there's a lot of people that have written books and, and went all different kinds of routes, getting, getting them published and promoting them. And I wanted to uh, go back um, to, to your books and ask you um, how can um, I know you've got a website, right, uh, Sherry? Um, do you want to share what that yes. is? Okay.
2: Yes, it's, uh, it's com. and it has it has my uh it it has my books and and the links to where you can purchase them it also has my blog so my blog is connected to the website and it has a little history there on the on the first page so uh I, I do have a website, and I'm proud of it. It's it's it, it's called uh, Author Cherie White. Words have power. I think my brother did a wonderful job. And if you want to go directly to my to my blog. It's com.
3: Okay, great. Could you spell your um, your name so that people have the right the right spelling?
2: C H E C H E R I E.
3: Okay, perfect. Yeah, because you know we uh, we record all these in all these shows in their archives. And what I like to tell people is that, you know, if you want to share the link, we can give, get you the link where you can share it with people. If, you know, they want to they hear a little bit more about your story and your book and stuff, you can go ahead and share that with people on whatever social media you want, and then they can go and they can hear this, you know, they can hear this show. And, and we've got over 3,000 shows that are archived. And so you got a particular number for your show and that's that's what uh, Annie was reading in the beginning. Uh and Annie, do you wanna say the the number again of the Yes um the show number?
1: It it is number
3: three zero nine seven. Three thousand and ninety seven. So you're the zero thousand ninety seventh um person that um or or show that's been been on uh, nasca that archive yep it's amazing isn't it
2: yeah it yeah. is yeah, yeah.
3: so in fact i i uh, googled podcasts on child abuse and there was 30 listed it said the top 30 and nasca was number one so that was pretty yeah cool. <laughs> you know yeah yeah That that's really important you know, because you just wonder how many people you reach. And what's good about the Talk Radio is we can go back there and look at the different episodes um, being, um, having access to the Blood Talk Radio uh, studio and see how many people actually listen to the show, you know, so we can go all the way back to when they started and see how many people listened throughout the years to that particular show as well. So that's, that's pretty that's neat really to be cool. able to do that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. matter of fact, I've had guests that will say, you know, they'll call me back in a couple of months and say, you know, because they kind of know you could do that and say, you know, could you tell me how many people actually listen to my show in the last two months, you know, or whatever. And it's, kinda, it's interesting to be able to give them that feedback. Especially yeah, I if they put it on the website that they were on the show. And, you know, um, um, we hope that uh, – I also want to let people know that NASCA <clears throat> is um, also a Facebook group. Um, we have tons of information on NASCA.org, A-A-S-C-A.org, and uh, we have an open and closed group on Facebook. We do um, five talk radio shows Monday through Friday nights at the same time. We have three peer support groups, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. I run the Tuesday one. And we just have so much information on there. And we're survivors, but then I've also been, and professionals, but I've also been telling parents about it because I have a lot of parents, God, I hate that to happen to my kids. How do I protect them and this and that? Well, there's there's a spot on there on how to protect our children. And I will refer them to that and say, go on there. And we've got little videos and we've got, you know, all kinds of information and stuff. So I like giving out that resource as well. You know, we have a lot on there. You know, I asked Bill, I said, How'd you think of putting all that stuff on there? He says, Well, when I was out looking for help, he said, Those are the things I wish I would've you know, been able I have access to So it's a very, very complete complete website. And
2: and what is the link to that website again?
3: It's NASCA, which is N A A S P A. Okay.
2: Okay. Oh,
3: gotcha. Yeah. I've got that down. Yeah. yeah, National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse and um dot org. And we are um, a nonprofit organization that relies solely on um individual donations. We didn't get any kind of government grants or funding or anything, we don't do none of that. And fortunately, we can pretty much operate on shoestring because Bill Murray, the founder, is the one that puts his time into working on the website and stuff. And we have a lot of volunteer opportunities I want to mention as well that, um, you know, everybody could, you know, everybody could do something. And that's why I always said i like to wow. a professional volunteer, which I've done since 86. And I used to say, because this really dates me, I used to say the reason why I'd like to be a volunteer is because um, nobody usually follows uh, fires a volunteer you know at worst they'll have you licking stamps.
0: <laughs>
3: so that really yeah but even then you're you feel like you're of service you know what i mean it's, it's just you know Whatever people can give, we we really appreciate it, you know. Even if it's, I would say every dollar counts, you know. And, I mean, people give right. a dollar and we appreciate it because people make sure that that dollar is out there helping survivors, um, you know, in, in one way or another. Yeah. And we have a lot of, you know, a lot of Programs and people can go on there and we've got like a PowerPoint presentation that people can bring into the community. And then, as we say, we get to choose our families, or our situations of children, but we can, uh, you know, uh, choose to be a NASCA family member. So if you choose, um, you are one of the family, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. One of the NASCA family, yeah. We like to think of it as a family, you know, and we're not, it's like any family, you know. That's wrong. You know, there's ups and downs, whatever, but, you know, we all care about each other, support each other as much as we can from wherever we're coming from. And, uh, you know, there is support there, and there is uh, healing for everybody's life. I just want everyone to know where there's, where there's breath, there's hope is what I always say.
2: Right, and and there's
3: also... Uh-huh. Go ahead. Yeah, there's also common
2: ground. I mean, we, you know, we, we each of us has been through abuse, and we know what it, you know. So we we were a, better able to empathize with one another. Yeah, Whereas I've actually someone... got more
3: help from survivors than I have from professionals because people are going to say, you know, I would say let's look at the commonalities rather than our differences, you know. And one of our commonalities, obviously, is, you know, we were abused as children, neglected, abused. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't compare stories, you know. Um, one of the common right. things we have in in uh, common is our feelings. You know, everybody, you know, when I talk about my story, you know, people can feel my hurt or sadness, and they can, you know, identify with your story, regardless of whether they went through it. We know what, we know what sadness is. We know what anger is. We know what... You know, fighting back is or or hiding. Right. Or, you know, we can identify with those things, and so that's what makes it work, I think. You know. Right. And you know where, uh, you know, yeah, you
2: guys were abused at home. I was abused at school. You know, well, it, abuse is abuse like, no, no matter where it came comes from. So. Yeah. You I know not want to go to school school, and I college. didn't want to go
3: home. <laughs> And I didn't feel safe in the neighborhood because I was also molested by a neighbor man. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't helped by, by the um, community. You know, there was no help there either. And, you know, my. so I really felt safe anywhere. I'd get so upset with my grandparents when they'd be bickering and arguing, and whatever. I would just run out the door and slam the door and run off out through the field that was uh the grade school yard and and run right up to where the woods were and just lay down look up at the sky and then they get up and walk into the woods i spent hours out there and i would look back and i think nobody ever asked me where i was <laughs> like i didn't even care you know but but that was my Long. retreat you know so now i just realized that was that was such a gift and i would go out there and sit and i would might maybe find an acorn you know and i would pick it up and i would go you know God put this there just for me today You know and I take it home And I just hold on to it I have something to hold on to And now I do arts and crafts That that are um, from nature Things from nature like like Twigs and seeds And things like that right. you know, And my artwork I'm an artist I'll tell, another,
2: uh-huh. uh, I'll tell you another Good therapy And that's pet You know it's uh, dogs. I, I just lost my my, I just lost my dog last Wednesday night. She'd been sick. Oh, and, uh, I'm
1: sorry. She,
2: what was your dog's Roxy name? Had, Roxy. And she was a, she was a fox-faced Pomeranian. Oh, and, uh, oh. she was just adorable. And, uh, she she had been, she, she's been my little sidekick for like 12 years. And she was there when my last husband died. She was there. She was with yeah. me through thick and thin. And when she died last Wednesday night from being sick, I just, uh, it, it really broke my yeah. heart. Yeah. Because she was good therapy for me. And I feel like, you know... I feel like God sent her
3: for yep. me. Be with you, because, yeah. Matter of fact, I worked with this organization out here that was helping pay for for vet uh, for vet bills, you know, to get surgeries and to, and to get um, uh, shots and all that sorts of stuff. And you know, city license and everything. They don't have it anymore because they ran out of money basically. But they were telling me that you know, for seniors and and people with mental health issues. Um, that those dogs keep them going and, and a big part of it is they'll go for a walk to take their dog for a walk or go, you know, go out in the yard and watch your dog or, they, you know, feed them and take care of them. And, you know, they keep themselves healthy because they're afraid that there's really nobody that can take care of their dogs, or their cats or whatever, you know, animals that they have. And, you know, even feeding the birds, you know, I, I went away on vacation five days. And I felt bad I came back and gave my birds and squirrels extra because I was out there apologizing and I took a vacation. (laughs) You know, and the the unconditional love that they give you is just so wonderful. It is just irreplaceable. Yep. And and they are loyal.
2: They're they're more loyal than humans. I hate to say it, but they are. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I got a cup that says, my dog is my favorite person, you know. And so I brought it to AA one night, and this guy goes, I hate when uh, um, people call their dogs people, you know. And and I just wanted to say something back to him, but I just bit my tongue, you know. <laughs> wow, well, you know, because he is, you know, I mean, I talk to him during the day. I'm doing housework or exercise. I'm like, Oh, mom, really? He's the exercise, you know. Oh, I guess I should do it. What do you think? Ah, oh, yeah, you look like you think I should, you know. Right.
0: <laughs> you know.
3: Right, and, and, and not I, I you know, to be a little human. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, and they can, you know, people go, oh, because he's a service animal. They said, oh, did he have to have a special training? And I said, you know what? For an emotional support animal or service animal. They don't need training because they pick up on you. And when you're depressed, I had two service dogs, Pomeranians, that I had for seven years before they got taken away from me, and, and I was devastated. But I ended up in the nurse, I ended up getting really sick in a nursing home, and I had to give them up. And anyway, um, you know, they were there. I couldn't go out. I had social anxiety. I would lay in bed depressed for three days. And they just laid there right with me. You know, and expect right. anything more from me. <laughs> and they just love me, and they kiss me, and they come in the door and they jump on me, and I act like they knocked me over. You know, and they just these little teeny, little teeny things. You know? but I had fun. You know, and I go out in the yard with them, and yeah, they just they brought me so much joy. And and I had nobody coming over and visit me or seeing me or you know, going out to therapy and things like that. But but they were like just everything to me. And I was, I don't know, home once, I, I just cried, you know. And oh, I
2: did too.
3: I mean, yeah. this weekend, I i was a
2: mess this weekend. I wasn't worth yeah. anything. I was just yeah. so depressed and so heartbroken that I'd lost my Roxy.
3: Yep. yep. And, and uh, was you know, I was it with her. back on you too, you know, and we just got to give ourselves, you know, just like when we lose people, You know, people are like, oh, just get over it or they're in heaven and they're in a good place, whatever. But we need to be able to give people time to mourn, you know, and that could be a a lifetime journey because it's a big piece of our heart, you know. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I still miss her. Uh, I'm not... As uh i'm not as a mess as i was this weekend this weekend all i was was just a puddle of tears and yeah. uh but uh and, and i'm sure that uh, uh i'll have many more crying spells
3: sure. sure of course of course but that first initial loss is is hard yeah <laughs>
2: absolutely yeah. and i yeah. honestly i want another I want another fox faced Pomeranian. Uh huh. Yeah. Because I mean, they are such that they're very alert. They're very smart dogs. They can pick up on your moods, and and they're loyal. They're such loyal and loving dogs.
3: You know. Yeah. She used. And to, then I she ended she up to look. Texas, and I got two Pomeranians, and um, I I ended up having them. And then, um, so I came back to Minnesota because they both got killed out there. Came back to Minnesota, I got two more. I got a little boy and two boys, and I called them Mark and Elvis. And I had um, Mark and Mindy in, in Texas, and they had they had three little puppies, so I called them my little orklings. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, the, the boy was more upset when the puppies that left, that 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 left that than that the that mom that was. She was like, she had that enough that of them. <laughs> Absolutely. He liked them, he liked
2: them <laughs> You know when I got her When she was just a puppy uh-huh. uh, The the girl who sold her to me Only wanted $40 Because she did not have the papers And uh-huh. you know the dog hadn't had her shots I got her shot for And she hadn't been spayed I got her spayed when she was about 5 months old but when I got right. her, she was like eight weeks old, and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: maybe, you know, she was eight weeks old when I got her,
0: and oh. I only had to
2: pay thirty dollars, and she gave mm-hmm. me what uh, what was left of her puppy food. Yep. And uh, that's why I feel like she was sent by God for me because yeah. most fox faced Pomeranians are like three thousand dollars. Oh, I know. I know. To I got my tongue free
3: too. Yeah. The only one I bought, ever bought was my girl. But um, you know, I've got 'em I've got one I I like buying coffee cups. I got one that says, um, um, I reach out for a hand and I found your paw. And then I have um uh, I saved my best friend and my best friend saved me. <laughs> You know, because um, um, the people that had, they had a male and a female. I'm going to the female, but she was only like four pounds. That was going to be as big as she got. Plus, she was older. And he was nine months old. And she's uh, about 14 pounds now. But he's a Bashan, and they're expensive as well. And so people are leaving for New York, and they're just, like, dumping off these dogs. And I already had a letter that said I need a service dog. I had that for three months before I got him. So I had already, you know, I told my friends I'm looking for a dog. And my girlfriend called me up. Oh, he's got shots. He's been groomed. He's spayed. You know, just all this stuff, you know. And of course, I got him and they couldn't produce shot records and no, no health care at all. They gave me a bag of cat food because that's what they've been feeding them. And you could see his rib cage. And somebody took a scissors to him and just hacked him, you know. And he certainly was not spayed nor potty trained, as they said. <laughs> So, you know, but you know what, he pretty much, that's what I got, you know, and then my son was in town and he paid for him, you know, and I kept telling my son, but he was free. He was free. And my son goes, yeah, free, like a free puppy. <laughs> you know, he had no shots or he needed to see a vet because wow. I didn't know what his health was, you know, when he was underweight and all that. And he would not eating the oh. cat food, of course. You know, so I told my daughter, yeah, this lady gave me cat food. That's what they're feeding. I'll bring that cat food over here. I'll feed it to my cat, and I'll give you some dog food, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I wish I could find a fox-faced Pomeranian. I can't find mm-hmm. one anywhere.
3: Well, there's a lot of uh, pet adoption sites out there. Um, uh, there. I found about 15 of them on Facebook. Um, if, oh, okay. you, if you go on there and maybe put a picture of your dog and say, you know, I lost my baby, my fur baby, and you know, I want to get one that, you know, is like him, you know, that kind of looks like him. Right. or just, um, You never. know,
2: I did that. I went. I yeah. went on a Pomeranian puppies uh, Facebook group, and you oh. know, I told them the situation that I wanted a Pomeranian puppy were, that I could love and cuddle. And do you yep. know that they kept deleting my, my they kept deleting it. Oh, and wow. finally I just went off and maybe I yeah. shouldn't have said what I said to them, but at that time I was hurting and I was like, why do you keep deleting my post? You know, oh. if I, all I want is a Pomeranian puppy to love. And, yeah. and if, if that's how you're going to be, than good, yeah. effing
3: ridden, and well, I, I, can, the, I, I can give you boys. a bunch of, um, I can give you a bunch of uh, places that, um, that give out uh, free dogs. They'll put them on there. You got to keep looking, though. You know, like, like, you know, like, you got to be dedicated, of course, which it sounds like you are. Right, and and just keep looking, and you know, some aren't going to be in your area, but there are a lot of, um, a lot of places that are people are looking for homes, you know, I mean, there's people that, you know, their mom might've died and they've they've got one of those dogs and they're trying to desperately find a home. They don't want to bring him to the shelter. You know, they want to find a caring home, you know, and they might ask a few questions they'll visit you just to see what environment the dog's going to live in or whatever. But, but there are, there are free dogs out there and that's what I did. I just, told all my friends what I was looking for, and then I just kind of prayed about it and said, send me the right dog. Marshmallow is the right dog. And I didn't know what to name him. I didn't like his name, and I don't even remember what it was. It was um, over two years ago, and he just turned three. And so, anyway, um, I put a Facebook ad looking for a name. So my, grandta- my granddaughter contacted me and said, I got a name. And I'm like, "What is it? Well, first of all, you can't just tell me, you know, he's soft, he's white, he's, um, uh, let's see, sweet. Um, uh, what was the other thing? Anyway, and you've got to call him Marshmallow. So that's what his Aww. name is. And he's a white Bashan. And he's looking at me right now because he knows I'm talking about him. Aren't you? You know I'm talking about you. Well, yeah, come Here, <laughs> I know. My baby. But, but, like, all in a meeting or a support group, whatever. And he will come up and jump up right by me and start kissing me if I'm upset or sad. Start kissing me or start um, scratching on my shoulder and kissing me, you know. And, I mean, I training to train to do that, <laughs> you know. But a lot Aww. of people don't know they, they can get an emotional support dog from their psychiatrist, but they don't know that if you have PTSD... You qualify under the Americans with Disabilities Act to get a service animal. And I'm doing a lot. I'm trying to get a lawsuit going against you since I had to get a disability law attorney to fight them. She had to send three letters to them before they stopped you know, harassing me. I told them I was getting a service animal. She goes, you want to get a dog? And I go, no, I'm getting a service animal. You know, she goes, well, who's going to take care of it? I go, well, I am. You can't even take care of yourself. I said, That's why I need a third animal I turned and walk away, you know. <laughs> but they harassed me and one one of the scaffold was kicked in the head, you know. And and they were just so mean and screaming at me and screaming at him and it it was really, really hard. And I, I just fought. And I think that's what kept me going was because, you know, I needed that energy to fight for him. I wasn't fighting for me, but I was fighting for him.
0: You
3: know. <laughs> right. You know, and I've helped other people, you know, learn that, you know, and I give them the information because that's what I did. I said, I got papers upstairs that will tell you, know, tell you what my rights are, living in assisted living. She goes, I don't want to see your goddamn papers. <laughs> You're not having that dog here, you know. And I said, he's a service animal, you know. And my attorney said, they don't understand that it's it, because of your disability, it's just like trying to say you can't have a wheelchair if you need one, you know. Your service dog is just like somebody, you know, needs a wheelchair. And a lot of people are so happy they've got emotional support animals, but they don't have the same rights. So if I do win this lawsuit, my goal is to get a website going and help people understand what the laws are because they don't need to be trained and they don't need a vest and they don't need ID. And these places that are advertising, get a free doctor letter and get a free ID and a vest and tag and all that. That's illegal. You get caught with those papers you can get a huge fine. And and I wanna expose that. As as they're just ripping off people that are disabled. They really can't afford that anyway. And they think it's legal. Even Americans with Disabilities Act says right in it, we do not support anybody that has that kind of paperwork. You have to have a psychiatrist that knows you. And it's like I had a fight with my psychiatrist to get when I had a panic attacking them off is trying to convince my psychiatrist, showing them the paperwork i had copied up you know right and to get to even get that paperwork that i could get one so you know it's not it's not easy and a lot of people don't know their rights that they can't not say you can have them in housing and things like that even emotional support animals you know i want both of those things on there because people don't know their rights you know and people Absolutely. don't know you know, they they think, oh, I gotta get them trained. That's gonna cost a lot of money and this and that. And I want to have some availability for like I said, the vet cost, or if somebody needs to go in the psych ward or or go into um, treatment, you know, for alcohol or drugs or whatever, to be able to pay for a place to actually board them. That's going to take care of them, not just kind of leave them with somebody that might steal them away from you. You know, and and so if I get this if I get this loss, which sounds like a- be a large amount if I do get it. And I can, I don't even need an attorney. I could do it myself. And Americans with disability act will back you up. And I'll right. also put it on the website so that other people know and what your settlement is and everything to let people know, uh, who the place was that, that violated your rights, your disability rights. And they violated my civil rights, you know, and, and a couple of, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, Fortunately, I called the Minnesota Law Center, and they gave me the number for the Disability Law Center, and I called them up, and I thought, this is going to take forever. I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose them. And the next day, I got a call of The lady said, I'm your attorney, and got me out a certified letter right away. But that didn't mean wow. it was over. You know, that was, yeah. Yeah. So there's That's resources. Awesome. That, you know, we need, we need to share with each other how we made it through these things and, and how to go about doing it because there's a lot of steps, you know, and there's a wow. lot of struggle and need support of, for all this stuff, you know? So we've got a little bit of time left here. I don't even think we got five, six minutes and we still got to play ourselves. So um, you want to say anything um, to uh, wrap up the show with any words, that you, things you haven't said that you'd like to say?
2: Absolutely. I just want to let everyone know that if you're going through bullying or any type of abuse, never lose hope. Never lose hope because, I mean, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I say this because it happened to me. You know, it happened to me. But, uh, you know, I now, even though I didn't have friends in school, I have... Wonderful friends
3: as an adult now, right? So, so going yes. through um, going through um, uh, the healing process. A lot of people think, well, I'm an adult now. That was in the past. But um, a lot of people don't realize that they're healing. If you know, people need healing if they've been abused as a child. You know that, that things can get better. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And uh, you have to heal before you can move on and and part of healing is to tell your story now, granted there's a lot of people that don't want to talk about it because they feel like they're reliving it if they're talking about yeah. it yeah um, you know it, like when i wrote my book you know that was the hardest book i ever had to write because i yeah. i was in a way you do relive it but mm-hmm. once you get it out mm-hmm. It's, yeah uh, it's like your life totally changes
3: mm-hmm. and you and one to, reason why we have this for we have this for survivors too is because you know um people can tell their stories i mean not everybody is going to write a book or go out and join an organization or you know have a website or whatever and you don't have to the the most important thing is that you survived and that you live a good life in spite of what happened to you you know, you, you go and find joy. Not everybody wants to be a public speaker or whatever, you know. If you're an artist and that makes you happy, hey, that is, the, that you know, I would say the best revenge is living a good life. The best revenge against your abuser is, is living a good that's life right. spite of what happened to you. That's you right. You know, because they want you to be absolutely. miserable the rest of your life. You know, that's exactly. <laughs> that brings
2: them joy. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. that and that is the best revenge, because when your abuser or your bullies see you living a good life, it ticks them off because they oh, know yeah. that they couldn't destroy you. Mhm. Mhm.
3: Yep. That's right. And, and Man, that's I what, and my and book. That's on, I bought my book on eBay, and my dad found <laughs> it and bought it, and then he had the nerve to write to eBay and say he never got the book. And you know, I thought, well, there he screwed me again, you know. And and right, it was about the pain. It wasn't about my recovery. And and all I could think was, I wonder if he enjoyed reading that to know about the pain that he had caused, you know, because because he was right. not only a narcissist but had no feeling whatsoever for anybody else's, you know, um, right. pain that he caused them. It was all about him and his, you know. Sexual gratification and all that, right?
2: But the most important thing is he didn't win.
3: That's right. You that's got, right.
2: You know, you won,
3: not yeah. him. And I put on, I put on Facebook, you know, that I, when I found out he died, my uncle posted, and I wrote, I, I never felt, I couldn't put into words, the freedom I feel now knowing that he's gone, and you know. And and my cousin unfriended me on Facebook, and and one of two things she either didn't want me to talk about family, or maybe she was abused by him too, you know? Right. But I think coming to the end of the show, and probably gonna cut us off, Any scripture. So we're gonna play our music. You got that, Emmy? And we will keep the okay. conversation going. Yep. Thank okay. you. Okay.
1: Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thanks Thank
3: everybody. you. Good night. Good night. Good night.
1: night. Cause that's all.